Well, the thought was coming outside of this door here. The thought was, well, it's time for me to get wired up, but I shouldn't have to because I'm already wired up physically anyway. So, anyway. (laughs) Richard, when you gave your testimony, I know that Mr. McMahon made fun of you and the fact that you were going to segregate the freshman class from our student body. I was looking for the fact you were going to come up and say, well, I'm segregated from the world, but I didn't hear that, so I was disappointed. But anyway, uh, I'll deal with you later. And uh, the first thing I need to do tonight before I go any further is get a shotgun and blow that clock off the wall because I do believe, it is my strong opinion, that that clock on that wall or the bells at this school is no replacement for the Holy Spirit of God. But with that being said, you know where I stand now, and uh, let's proceed for it, shall we? Take your Bibles, will you, this evening? Take your Bibles, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be looking at the apostate uh, church, and in specific, we'll be looking at the people who are proclaimed to be the apostates, and we're going to be looking specifically at uh, four different things. Number one, we're looking at the coming apostasy. Number two, we'll be looking at the construction of these people that call themselves so-called, quote, apostates. After that, we'll be looking at their converts, the work that they are being involved in. And not only that, towards the end of this, we'll be looking at the fact that they are going to be exposed one day. And not only are they going to be exposed one day, but they're being exposed, as we well know, right now in our world today. And uh, we'll be looking at those four things as we go down through the text this evening. Come with me now to chapter 3, and we'll read from God's Word, shall we? Thou therefore... Sorry, I'm in 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Jennies and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. Shall we pray this evening? Father, this evening we are thankful for the preaching and the teaching of your word. Thankful for the fact that we can open up a living book with living truth written by a living Savior, and the fact that we have a relationship with you, the living Savior. We're thankful for that tonight. Father, I can do nothing in and of myself. Apart from you, I am nothing. So I ask tonight that these words would not be my words, that they'd be your words. That everything that's said and done here tonight would not be done in my own flesh. Father, I need your help tonight. May you grant me that help as we go through this text. Be with each and every one here. And may they drive home uh, the points. May they take home the points that are within the scripture this evening. It's in Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. Well, looking at that long list, you think we're going to be here for a while. There's 19 things in that list. But I got news for you. You're going to get out on time. So, 
In light of this whole chapter, I guess you could say, the whole chapter of 2 Timothy 3, if you come to verse 14, this really is the theme of the chapter, verse 14, and Ryan Farrell will be touching on this a little later on next, I guess not next week, but the week after. It says, Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words, not to profit, but to subvert of... Sorry, that's 2 Timothy 2. Sorry about that. 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned of them. There we go. Continue in the things which thou hast heard. And of course, the warning, the warning there, continue in the things. Why? Because he knows we're going to be addressing the apostates here. Well, looking at this apostate thing, we definitely know that there is a journey that he's going to be on. We know that in verse 1, chapter 18, that Paul says to Timothy, war a good warfare. And in chapter 6, verse 12, he says, fight the good fight. Why? Because there's going to be these false teachers that are going to be in this church, and they're going to be trying to make converts of their own. They have attractive doctrine, but he needs to fight the good fight of faith. He needs to war the good warfare. And the only reason that he needs to do that is because there's going to be people later on here in this text that oppose him. We need to fight the good fight of faith. As Paul is writing to Timothy, that is what he has in mind. And we are told to do this because the days in which we are living in are very dark. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3 tells us that we are to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Soldiers of Jesus Christ continually fighting because I got news for you. If you think the battle is going to end, it's not going to end. Satan's still out there. He's alive. He's well at work in the lives of many people. We need to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And don't think for a minute that uh, this battle is going to lie low. It's not going to lie low. You're going to continually fight, and that's what he's calling us to do here. Digging into this uh, passage of Scripture, because I know I haven't even dug into the first verse yet, we're going to see this. This know is the first two words. Keep in mind, this be knowing. He's got a thing he's got to tell Timothy. He's got to leave some truth to Timothy, and here's what he says. Be keeping this in the back of your mind. There's truth here that I need to tell you and I need to warn you. So keep this in the back of your mind. And in doing so, you will have the evidence here and you will have the knowledge to fight against these false teachers if you keep in mind what I am telling you tonight. Not only that, it says in the last days. Just know that in the last days, well... Guess what? Me on a human scale, you on a human scale, without digging into the Greek in the last days, wouldn't you think that would be future tense? In the last days, some people think here in the last days, this is going to be the times which directly, imminently precede the, the rapture of the church. We're, we see, we take these things that are going to happen, all these sins, everything that is bad, we take that as just before the rapture of the church. We don't think stuff like that is going on today, but really when you look into the text... It started with Jesus Christ being born on this earth and it's going until the rapture of the church. That is the last days. And we also know that the worst time this apostate is going to be taking place is when the Antichrist is here on the earth. So you've got from when Jesus Christ is born right through the Antichrist, that is your last days. We're in the last days. Whether people know it or not, the last day started with Jesus Christ. That was 2,000 years ago. How do I know that the last day started in Jesus Christ? Well, there's a prophecy in Joel, chapter 2 and verse 28. He says, God will put his spirit in the hearts of men. That old age is gone. 
The new age has come with Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Peter, when he was preaching Pentecost, he quoted Joel's prophecy, chapter 2 and verse 28. He quoted the fact that God will put his spirit in the hearts of men. So in doing justice to the Bible and the scripture here, the last days, it does not tell us it's right before the rapture of the church. The Bible will not allow me to do that because Joel's prophecy specifically tells me that the last days start with Jesus Christ. That's one thing we've got to grasp. The thing we've got to grasp right now from this is that we are in the last days. And in the last days, it says perilous times are going to come. What's perilous times? Perilous times is referred to as hard times, difficult times. And we are seeing that in the world in which we live today, are we not? There's hard times. There's difficult times that are going on. That's what perilous times mean. And shall come. Again, we have that thing in the end of verse 1, shall come, those two words that might seem to us as future tense. And in this case, they sort of are future tense. Because the shall come, as Kenneth Weiss would say, means to set in. Know this, that in the last days, or the time from Jesus Christ until the Antichrist, perilous times, hard times, shall come. Meaning they're going to set in. How do I know that they're going to set in? And setting in means basically there's one season, but there's going to be a bunch of different seasons that are going to go through that time. That's why we have 19 characteristics here, because within this big season, there's going to be different types of seasons that are going to take place. And that's the way we're going to identify what the apostate teachers are. Setting in. One other reason I know that they're going to set in is a passage of Scripture I had Martha read from 1 Timothy chapter 4. It only deals with some. You shall see some departing from the faith. This here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is not only some departing from the faith, but it is dealing with the church in general. Okay? So it's not just some. Here we've got the general thing. It's everybody in general. Everybody. And we were, the last days are referred to in 1 John 2.18 and Acts 2.16 and 17. So we are in the last days, believe it or not. I look at that and I thought, hey, the last days are here in my generation. They weren't in my generation. They've always been. I just need to look into Scripture to figure that out. The last days are here. And believe you me, it's not getting any better. It's getting worse. You know why? Because we're getting closer and closer to Jesus Christ taking the church out of the world. And it's going to get worse. And he said that. Well, I've, uh, I've gone through the introduction. That's the coming apostasy. It's not coming, as you know. It is already here. We're going to look at the construction of the apostasy and the people that claim themselves to be these apostate teachers. Notice with me now the number one thing. And I love how this starts out. Number one, it says... Men shall be lovers of themselves, in verse 2. Men shall be lovers of themselves. This is not talking about me as a man. It's not talking about the gender of men here in this room tonight. It's talking about mankind in general. Yes, it addresses you ladies as well. In the Bible, it addresses mankind in general, and that is both genders. Men shall be lovers of themselves, or shall I say men and women shall be lovers of themselves. See, I, th- I find it great 
that it starts out with that. And you'll find as I go down through the text, it'll end with the fact that they will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Lovers of self is where it all starts. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Trying to make a name for themselves. Because you see, when they love self, you no longer love God. And the thing of the matter is here, it says in Romans chapter 1, that man will become their own God. What happens when you love yourself rather than God? Your moral beliefs tend to decline. You tend to go through this world the way you want to go through the world. You tend to be off track, not heeding the things of the Bible, not living by the book. And you tend to make temporary sacrifices for that of the temporary. You don't care about eternal values. You'll be lovers of yourself. And that's when you become your own God. What happened in Genesis 3, 5? Ye shall be as gods. Pride. Lovers of self. Pride. It leads to you being your own God. Not a good thing. Because look at number 2 in chapter 2. It says covetous. If you love self, are you not going to be covetous? I love how this formation breaks down. I don't really know how to group these 19 things together, but I know that these first two go together real well. Because lover of self will lead to covetousness. And there's only one other time it's used in the Bible, in the New Testament, Luke 16, 14, and it speaks of the Pharisees being covetous. You're going to get the things you want, and you don't care what's in your way. You're going to get them regardless. You don't care what's stopping you. Lovers of self, because if you're lovers of self, are you not going to want to feed your own desires? Covetousness. Lovers of money. And what does the Bible say about money? It is the root of all evil. And that's why I had Martha read that in chapter 6 and verse 10 of 1 Timothy. Money's not good. It leads to a downfall of a lot of things. And we can get into trouble pretty quick. Lovers of self. Does it not lead into lovers of money? Wow. The next five I think I can group up pretty good. Sorry, the next three. Boastful. Wow. Result of pride. Look at me. You're trying to show yourself in front of others. You're trying to make a name for yourself in front of others. When really, basically that name that you've made for yourself is not who you are, is it? Boastful. Who are you? You're trying to show others that you are this big person because you love yourself, because you love of money. You're trying to make yourself out to be someone who you're not. Does God like that? I don't think so. You say you have no offered me any hope yet in this text. Well, we're going to get to that later. I still got a lot of things to go through. Boastful. What about proud? Haughty or arrogant draws attention to behavior and it draws attention to the feelings in the inner self. Proud. Boastful and proud. They're two closely interwoven things together. And blasphemers, I believe, could top off this list of the next three. Because what happens when you blaspheme? 
You don't have a reverent respect for God. You slander the name of God. Not only that, you slander the name of people around you. Blaspheme. I don't think you have a right view of God when you blaspheme His name. You're slandering His name. I don't think He wants that. And as I go to number six, the first was dealing with generally ourself. But when we get into the sixth thing on this list, I think it's, it, it leads into the home. I really do. So it starts with self, and then it leads into the home. It says, disobedient to parents. Oh, a lot of that going on today, don't we? Who's running the household? Is it not the child? I've seen a lot of people in the grocery markets. I've seen a lot of people within their own home. The child is telling the parents what to do. And if that be the case in our society today, how in the world is a child going to have a respect for government authorities over them or for authority in general? Will they submit to the authorities? I don't think so. Part of that is the problem of the parent too. We can't just blame it on the child. But at the same time, if they're not willing to submit to their parents, how in the world are they going to be willing to submit to the government authorities and all the people that are around them? I don't think they will. And I've seen it. It's in our day and age today, is it not? And it's growing. Unthankful. Have you seen a lot of ungratefulness toward parents? Parents do everything for our kids, don't they? They do everything for you and I. And in a society where we have more materialistic things than we have ever had before, the kids are still ungrateful. It doesn't matter what you get them. It doesn't matter what you try to do for them. They're ungrateful. See, I don't think kids today have known what the definition of contentment means. They've got to have more. They've got to have more. They're unthankful. And not only are they unthankful to parents, but ultimately that leads to being unthankful to God. Why? Because God is the, is the maker of everything, is he not? Where did all that stuff come from? God's the one who provided the parents with the job in order to have those things. He's the one that has made all those things that we enjoy. Is he not the maker of everything? So if, if uh, the children are unthankful to their parents, are they not unthankful to God as well? It's amazing what's going on in the home here. Unholy. The conduct is opposed to God. They don't want to do the things of God. Contrary to the things of God. This is seen two times in the New Testament. It's in 1 Timothy 1.9. We see it again. And they have a disregard for the duty towards God. If you're unholy, you're going to live for God? No, and all this stems from being unthankful, disobedient to parents. They're going to live unholy lives. They're not going to live by the book. They're not going, their lives are not going to be governed by the book. I don't think God likes that. But it's a day and age which we're in. Yeah, here's a good one. Number nine. What about without natural affection? Huh? How about the parents not loving the children? How about the children not loving the parents? I can't tell you how many people today are getting divorced. The divorce rate is skyrocketing, is it not? And the only thing that I see with that is why. Because some people are getting divorced and they don't even have a legitimate reason. What's your reason for getting divorced? I just don't love her anymore. Really? Give your head a shake. Come on. That's not a legitimate reason to get divorced. 
but unnatural without natural affection. I like what, uh, I like what Kenneth Weiss says. This is the binding factor by which any natural or social unit is held together. And we're in big trouble if we lose the natural affection of our families because you know where that puts man? It puts him in a lower standing than even the beasts of the world. Even they've got a concept of what love is. What's wrong with our society? It seems to be twisted, seems to be thwarted, does it not? Without natural affection. This is talking about family affection here, folks. Let's get out of the home for a minute. Let's talk about our society. We've got self, being lovers of self, lovers of money, all that. Then we've got the home, of course, with without natural affection, unthankful, unholy, disobedient to parents. Now let's go to the society because all of this stuff is going to stem into society. What about truce breakers? Truce breakers. We're in verse 3 now. Truce breakers. Somebody who is not willing to reconcile with another or not willing to agree with another. Got a lot of that going on today, don't we? I want to do it my way. I don't care about your way. Really? I think we need to be more agreeable people, don't you? Truce breakers. Wow. It's amazing. This is in society, too, because you have a lot of people that are doing jobs. And, of course, in a work site, you've got to have a team, do you not? What happens if the guy uh, what happens if the guy wants to do it his way and he's not willing to agree with the other guy? Is anything going to get done? I surely don't think so, and I don't think the boss is going to like it either. He's there to get something done. Work with the person. Come on. False accusers. This is a good one. This just simply means devil. Slanderer. Imitator of the devil. The devil's got a lot of people on his side. He's got a lot of people that are thrown into this thing of not Christianity. The devil wants people that are going to slander, doesn't he? It's the work of the devil. And accusations, they make accusations against others, which are false. And then they start an argument for no really good purpose other than the fact they want to win it. Wow. Start an argument for the fact that you want to win it? I think that's pretty childish, don't you? you got parents here, out in society, starting arguments just because they want to win an argument? Go back to childhood where your parents raised you. That's where you belong. Yet they still, they love their childish behavior. So they're going to start an argument regardless. And they want to win. Incontinent. This is not a medical term, by the way, folks. You get older, people get incontinent. That's, not a, that's a medical term. We're not talking about that type of incontinent here. We're talking about without self-control. We're talking here, they're not well-disciplined. They don't care about discipline. And satisfaction of their desires is their only goal. So they're very immoral. They're looking out for number one. Hey, look at me, I'm number one. Yeah, okay. What about the lovers of self? Well, it's going to lead into the fact that they're incontinent in the workplace. I'm going to do what I need to do and look out for number one. Forget helping anybody else. That's not on their list. They don't care. How about fierce? Ooh. Fierce. You met any fierce people? Until I tell you what they are, you don't have to answer that. 
untamed in actions, savage, uncontrolled and undisciplined beings, forgotten the fact that they were made by God and they disregard others. That's quite something to forget that they were made by God. What happens with lovers of self? They become their own God. So would they not forget the fact that they were made by God? Seems to line up pretty good, doesn't it? All this stuff flows together. It's a network of things that are going to take place, not only since Jesus Christ died on the cross, but they're taking place today, and it's getting worse. The fire's getting hotter. Number 14, despisers of those that are good. See, these people have a problem with your testimony. Okay? Talking about uh, not being hypocritical, living a pure, a just, a holy life before God. These people have a problem with you. They hate good. You know what? Let them hate it because if you're doing what God wants you to do and you've got a testimony for God, keep standing firm for Christ. I don't care what they think. Do you? You need to be a testimony for Jesus Christ regardless of whether they hate you or not. Amen? That's what we're called to do. So they don't like what is pure, what is just, and what is right. Those who have moral values and are living by Christianity's moral values of the book, they hate those people. And rightly so, because, you know, they're rightly so because of all these things that I've listed before. Unholy, truce breakers, fierce, all that stuff. So I would think that they would hate you, wouldn't you? Well, they hated Jesus when he was on the earth, so uh, why should that be any different for you and I who are, uh, who are witnessing of the fact that Jesus Christ is the light and now the light's within us? Wouldn't you think they'd hate us? They hated Jesus. We're called to give a testimony for Jesus Christ in this world regardless of what people think. Regardless of what people think. Traitors. Oh, yeah, what about Judas, the disciple, huh? Was he a traitor? Was he a traitor? Luke 6, 16. And it was used to the Jews in Luke 7, 52. One who betrays others. I don't like this definition because when I looked at it, I didn't think anybody could be so cruel. It's leading others to ruin. They're betraying somebody else. They lead others to ruin. I don't like that definition, but that's the way it is. It's one who betrays others, one who betrays their country, and it's one who will not help someone in danger. Wow. One who will not help someone in danger. Serious stuff, isn't it? How about the heady people? Reckless, headstrong. They act before they think. Oh, man, this is a problem with us. Not all men, but uh, I know uh, many times we have the opportunity to do something our way. We act before we think. I've been there, I've done that, it doesn't get you anywhere. But at the same time, they're trying to get their way regardless. I got a way that I'm going to do something. And it's going to get done regardless. They're headstrong, they don't care. Somebody's in their way, gone, see ya. Kick you out the window, see ya. You're gone. And he's going to get it done the way he wants to get it done. He's headstrong. Scotch and the Irish are headstrong, I know, because I have both of them in me. You can tell us, but you can't tell us much. So that's something we Scotch and Irish people need to work on. 
How about high-minded? Well, this is a good one. You ever see smog in Hamilton, Ontario? I haven't, but it's there. It's there. It's there. I know it's there because Dad grew up in Hamilton, and he tells me a lot about the, the industry that's there and all the things that go on. I drove by Hamilton when I was on tour my freshman year, and uh, yeah, these guys here, they're walking around with their heads swollen real big, and you know, they're like this, and they've got cloud around them, and they can't even see beyond themselves. Wow. When you're in a place full of smog, how far ahead of you can you see? Huh? This guy just, yeah, good care in the world, man, you know. Oh, look at me, I'm great, yeah. And that's the way he is. His head's swollen, and he's in a cloud of smoke. That's all there is to it. No one can tell him anything. Why? I know it all. That's why I can't see beyond myself. That smoke contains everything that you ever will know in your life? Really? You got a pretty small uh, vocabulary there. You got a pretty small knowledge. Anyway, that's what this guy is. That's number 17. Number 18. We're getting back to lovers of self and lovers of money. See, it starts with a theme and it ends with the same theme in this section of Scripture. Lovers of pleasure more than God. They devote themselves to self-satisfaction and they devote themselves not to God. Love for God is not a controlling motive in their lives. Herbert D. Edmonds said that. Love for God is not a controlling thing in their lives. Love for self is a lack of love for God. Because a warning was given, was it not? In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, he that loves the world and the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Is that in there? I think it is in there. They have a misplaced love. They have a wrong view of what love is. This is love. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Wow! Here's a good one for you. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Romans 1.16. Can anyone quote that tonight? I want a verse. Anybody know what Romans 1.16 says? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power. It's the same use. Power, power. They have the form of godliness. They sit right where you folks are sitting right now. They go through the motions. They live Sunday in the church. They're in the pews. They are going through the motions, singing the hymns, listening to the preacher preach. And you know what? They're not allowing the Holy Spirit of God, this power that is talked about, to change their lives. You see, they have an outward form, but they have no inward change. That's what it means by having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I like what uh, John R.W. Stott says, but it was form without power, an outward show without inward reality, religion without morals, and faith without works. That's a dead faith according to James. Having a knowledge of God, but denying the power thereof. It's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? And the thing about that is, You and I 
have no idea who those people are. Only God does, doesn't he? And in 1 Timothy, it basically tells us God knows those who are his. We don't have to worry about that. We don't know who they are. God does. Looking at verse 6 now. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lust. I've seen a lot of silly women. <laughs> I see them right here on this campus. But uh, the truth of the matter is, uh, silly women is not what you take it to be. Okay? Uh, I'm going to have to redeem myself later on. This is being recorded. But anyway. <laughs> okay. We've just named 19 characteristics of the apostates, haven't we? It says they'll creep into houses of this. These apostates that we have named with their 19 characteristics from this sort. This is the sort of people that are going to be attacking their converts. We're talking now about their converts. Forget the construction. We've dealt with that. These are their converts. They creep into houses. You remember in the, in the Gospels, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing? They creep into the houses and these teachers are deceptive. They're very deceptive. Just like in the Gospels. Same thing's going on here. They're very deceptive. But guess what? Notice how it attacks the woman here, huh? Silly woman? What about the Garden of Eden? Was it not Eve that they attacked first? Satan knew what he was doing, didn't he? He attacked the woman. So it goes right back to the beginning where you attack the woman first. So what are they going to do? They're going to attack the woman first. They sneak in by trickery. And of course, they're deceivers. What about leading captive? Take under control. They're going to captivate their minds, is what this basically is saying. So now they're not under the control of their own instincts. They're under the control of these false teachers that are trying to make converts of them. I know I see a lot of Jehovah Witness and Mormons going around. They love to get the women at the door. Why? Because they're more susceptible to this type of thing. I don't know why they, that Paul chose to mention the women first here, but uh, it seems only logical. It seems only logical because if you get a big uh, burly man at the door, good chances are they're not going to uh, get him converted. Or if they open up the door and it's a Christian and it's a man... A man will intimidate them a lot more than a woman will, won't he? They tend to target the women. Silly women, here we go. This is little women. They're content in the state that they are in. They want to stay in the state that they're in. Laden with sins. They're heaped up with a pile of sins. Too too many sins, excuse me. Too many sins that they're looking for a way out. They know that they have sinned. They don't want to deal with the consequences. So guess what? They're going to take every false teacher that they can get their hands on that's going to offer them an attractive way out of the sinful state that they are in. Oh, I'm a sinner. I've sinned a lot. Yes, I realize that. But guess what? They want to find the easiest way out. And these apostate teachers here that are going to be deceiving these women they got an attractive and easy way out. And that's what they like. These women are attracted to these types of people because of the fact that they have remedies for the solution. And it doesn't involve anything 
you know, it doesn't involve anything too hard and it doesn't involve anything that's going to cost him anything, really. Diverse lusts. Okay, here we go. I'm not going to leave this limited to sexual lusts because they're lusting after a way as well to take care of their sin. Now, sexual lust could be in there, and I'm not saying it's not because it likely is. But they're also lusting after different new ways to get out of the situation in which they are in. They like these false teachers. Why? Well, they flatter their ego. They know what to say. They know how it's done. They know how it works. They love these false teachers. False teachers are talking right away and they're flattered by it. They love it. This is why they like them. Verse 7, here we go. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're open to every new way that's out there. They're open to every new way that they can get out of the situation they're in. But you know what the problem is? Their teaching are from nothing but quacks. No, not the ducks. Quacks. Quacks, okay? I'm not going to go up to a pond and say, hey, duck off for me away of this situation. It doesn't work that way. These people, the stuff that they are teaching, the stuff that they have infiltrated through their mind and trying to shove on to these ladies, it's all nothing but a quack in the end. Throw it out the window. It's garbage. But they think it's great. But the Bible says it's a quack. I found that in Kenneth Weiss's uh, Testament studies in the Greek. And uh, the truth of the matter is, looking at the whole picture, it is a quack because it's another way to heaven, which there is no other way to heaven. Only Jesus Christ is the way to heaven. So it's quack. So when you read this uh, and you study up on this, don't go looking for the ducks. Running after error at the same time that you are living in sin is not a good way to find the truth. They were running after error, weren't they? They were living in sin. That's not a good way to find the truth. You know why they couldn't find the truth? Because they did not know him who was the truth. Who's the truth? Is it not Jesus Christ? John chapter 14 and verse 6. I am the way. What's the second word? The truth. They cannot come to a knowledge of the truth because they know not him. That is Jesus Christ who is the truth. That's the reason. I can assure you, Jesus Christ does not have a quackish way to get to heaven. It is a true, legitimate way. Because he is not only the way, and not only the truth, he is the life. They need to come to a knowledge of who the truth is. Here's another good one. Verse chapter 8. Verse 8. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do also these resist the truth. Who in the world is Jemez and Jambres? I had no idea who these were. Apparently in Exodus chapter 7, verse 11 and verse 22, it mentions two magicians that Pharaoh had had. And you remember these magicians that Pharaoh had had. They were in kind of a contest with the Almighty God back in Egypt when uh, Pharaoh wouldn't let the people of God go. But their names are not mentioned. So how in the world do I know who these guys are? Number one, I can tell you this had to be by divine inspiration of God. It's another thing that you can tell people that there's inspiration in the Holy Scriptures. Who knew these names? They weren't mentioned in Scripture anywhere. So how do you think Paul wrote these two names? Obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, 
That's one thing, and I do believe that with all my heart, but not only that, we can look to Jewish tradition, and likely these names are passed down through the generations in the endless genealogies in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 4. He says, don't give heed to genealogies and fables and all that. Well, in those genealogies, they could have come from that, Jewish tradition. I don't know where they came from, but I, all I can say to you is it had to have been divine inspiration of Jesus Christ. Divine inspiration. They're also mentioned in the Qumran literature, which attributes their behavior to Belial. In Jewish literature, which says that they were Balaam's sons who were killed at the Red Sea. And if they weren't killed at the Red Sea, then they were killed just after they had made the molten image of the golden calf. And that comes to you tonight by William D. Mouse. Balaam's sons, well, okay. They would be, uh, be Satan worshippers then anyway. They would be one of these apostate guys. Can I give you a few examples tonight? Acts chapter 8, verses 9 to 11. There's a guy named Simon. He used sorcery. He used witchcraft. And he was deceiving the people. And he was basically just there appeasing the people. And basically, these people said that this man is great power of God. They looked at all the wonderful things that Simon was doing in Acts chapter 8. And they said, this man is with the power of God. I don't know how you can be with the power of God when you don't know who God is, nor have you experienced the power of God to change your life, but they said this is the power of God. Philip waltzes around, and Philip comes to them, and Philip gives the truth. And you know what happened? People started getting saved. (laughs) People started getting saved. I love it. It's wonderful. You're being delivered out of this witchcraft. I love it. You know what? These guys didn't like it too well, but it's okay. Philip had the truth. They opposed Philip. But God always wins. I love that. God always wins. As well in Acts 13, verse 7 to 8, Eliamus withstood Saul and Barnabas because Sergius Paulus called for them to teach the word of God. Sergius Paulus, a guy that was also practicing witchcraft and all this, they called for Saul and Barnabas, be Paul now, to teach him the word of God. I love it. I love those transformations. People in sin, living in sin, have no hope. They're entrapped within this spiritism. I love it when God comes along and says, guess what? Here's my truth and you're free. The truth shall set you free. It's amazing. One more would be Acts 19, verse 13 to 14. There were seven sons of Sceva. There was also people within the Jewish crowd and uh, these seven sons, they said, well, uh, let's call these uh, guys that have evil spirits. And we're going to deliver these evil spirits from them. And if you go down further in that chapter, the evil spirits, guess what? They knew who Paul was. And they knew who Jesus Christ was. But they did not know who these people were that were trying to deliver the spirits out of them. What's that tell you right there? They're fake. The spirits knew who Jesus was. He was true. The spirits knew who Paul was. He was following the true word of God. They did not know who this false prophet was. They're proved fully. They've got error. They're found out. What does withstand mean? Withstood means this, to set oneself up against. And these, all of these accounts that we have seen so far, the three in Acts, they set themselves up against Paul, they set themselves up against Barnabas, and they set themselves up against the Almighty God, and guess what? Almighty God always wins. But those are three examples that they set themselves up against, 
and they were found and proven fake. You see, these people were using their magical powers, so-called magical, or they thought they were magical, in opposition with the Spirit's gifts. We know these magical powers are without any meaning, and they, they basically are nothing. The Holy Spirit has more power than they do and always will have. What they are doing basically is in their own sinful flesh. They are error. It says here in verse 8, it says, These do also resist the truth. What truth are they resisting? They're resisting the truth that first was committed to Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 11. But not only was it committed to Paul, it was committed to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 14. And what's that truth? That's the truth of the living God. They're resisting the truth. They don't want to have anything to do with the truth. They want to stay entrapped in their snares and their evil seducing. They want to stay trapped into all that. Not going to happen. But they resist the truth. Corrupt minds. Utter moral depravity. Their mind is corrupted by the devil so the truth cannot get through to them. The devil's got them so deep that they cannot see the truth of God. They're resisting the truth. They don't want the truth. And then it says here that they're a reprobate mind. Reprobate mind simply means this, that they were tested of the true faith. They were tested in the faith. And guess what? They were found counterfeit. Satan's got a lot of counterfeits running around in the world today, doesn't he? All this false religion that people are being trapped in and ensnared in. They are nothing but counterfeits. And they're going to find out one day, when they stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of themselves, they're going to find out that the people they were following were nothing but counterfeits. So if the counterfeit people are not going to be found out here, ultimately they will be one day. And then guess what? That day's going to be too late. All their followers are going to perish. That's going to be too late. Last verse. said, I thought he'd never finish. Verse 9. Let's look at this. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. Proceed no further. They're going to be stopped. One way or the other, they're going to be stopped. It says, proceed no further means this, to lengthen out by hammering, to promote, to further, or to go forward. They're not going to proceed any further. They're going to be done. Why? Because they've been found out that they are fake in their folly. They're not going to proceed any further. Folly just simply means senselessness, lack of understanding from their wickedness. They would become clear to all. The wickedness that they are doing would become clear to all. When people find out that what they are doing is nothing but a bunch of senseless garbage, oh, that's going to really, uh, it's going to really set well with people, isn't it? They will be found out. And I say that they're going to be found out because going back to Pharaoh's two magicians... You remember the account in Exodus chapter 8? I know I do. Aaron throws his rod down. That's all fine and dandy. It turns into a serpent. The magicians, thinking there's something, you know, they throw the rods down. What happens with Aaron's rod? Does it not eat the magician's rod? It does. And then, you know, Moses goes and he turns uh, water into blood. Oh, magicians say, I got this covered, I got this covered, this is wonderful. I'm going to do that. They turn the water into blood. That's fine and great. But here's the thing that they could not do. When it comes to the fact that Moses stretched forth his arm and his rod, 
and brought forth lice from the ground. What happened was the magicians. They couldn't bring lice forth from the ground if they tried. Why? Because God's the one that formed man from the dust of the ground. He's the one that formed the creatures from the dust of the ground. Can man form something? Can man make life? I hardly think it. Why? Because it's God's dirt. God owns the dirt on this earth, does he not? You can't use that dirt. That's my dirt. It's like, hey, man, I, I, I made this world. You can't use that dirt. And that's what happened when the scientist tried to create life. He's in his laboratory, and God says, okay, go ahead. What are you doing with that dirt? That's my dirt. You can't use that. You think humans can bring forth life? I don't think so. What happened? The people saw that they were nothing but a fake and saw that they were error, didn't they? They were exposed to the fact that they, what they were doing was full of, full of nothing. So we see that in the earlier times that this apostasy is not coming, that it is here. We see the 19 characteristics of the apostasy. That's their construction. Then we see their converts, which are these silly women. Or, if you will, the women that will be content in, their, in the state that they're in. And not only that, we see the fact that they are exposed toward the end. Folks, there's a battle that's raging out there, and the battle is not getting any weaker. The battle is getting stronger. Satan is getting stronger. But it doesn't matter how strong Satan gets, guess what? God's only going to win. I love that. I don't have to worry about anything. I love that. But he's called us to fight for the truth, hasn't he? Getting back to my introduction. War a good warfare. Fight the good fight of faith. Why? Because these people that are going to come and say they have the truth, when really they don't, we're going to need to fight against that, aren't we? We have the truth of the word of the living God here. What are we doing with it? The day and age in which we are living in is very dark. And we need to realize that the trust, God has entrusted us with his scriptures. What are we to do with them? We need to take them and use them. I'm going to quote an old song. And I heard this as a young boy, but I think it's very fitting. It says, Backyard soldiers, little boys, we fought the enemy with little toys. Sticks for swords, hands for guns. Every battle, we always won. But as we grew, we went our way. We forgot about our soldier days. And it says, no more swords, no more guns, no more battles to be won. What happened to them? They were in the battle. They were winning. They figured they'd lie low and it'd pass over. I got news for them. Let's continue. But we were wrong. We did not see. We still had an enemy. So now we stand friend with friend. We are soldiers once again. We are soldiers again in the army of the Lord. We are soldiers again in his word is our sword. We will not be denied with him by our side. We know the victory will win. We will fight till the end. Soldiers again. And we still can't even see the one we are fighting, but we stand with one who can, and that's the Lord God Almighty. See, folks, these guys are never going to prevail. God says in Romans eight thirty-seven, we are more than conquerors through him. So it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how strong these teachers might get, we're still going to win. But the challenge is on you. 
And it's on me. And I'm speaking to myself this evening. It's not just for you. It's for me as well as the preacher. The challenge to us is to fight the good fight. To war the good warfare. Because it's not getting any better. And if you don't see this happening around you, I think you need to wake up and smell the coffee and ask God to help you with it. And if you're afraid, he hasn't given you the spirit of fear, has he? Of power and of sound mind. We have his truth. We need to expose these people. We need to give the proper doctrine of Jesus Christ. And from the start of 2 Timothy chapter 1, all the way through, you've heard from all my fellow classmates, it's been all about contending for the faith. Jude chapter 1 and verse 3 calls us to contend for the faith. And that's what all of my seven other classmates have done. So can I ask you a question tonight? What are you doing with the truth? What does the truth mean to you? We're living in a world, and the battle's not getting any weaker, is it? Take the truth. You're learning it here. Take it home with you. Take it wherever you go. And shine as lights for Jesus Christ, regardless of whether it's popular to do or not. We need to do the unpopular thing. So you have the truth. My challenge to you tonight is what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Father, tonight we are thankful for the teaching and preaching of your word. Living truth from a living Savior. And Father, we ask and pray tonight that you be with each and every one of these folks. I know that you've each given them a task to do. And I pray, Father, that as they take this task of giving the gospel in a world that does not want your gospel, we're taking it to a world where wrong seems right. We know that it's contrary to everything society is teaching us. But help us, Father, to take that gospel that was entrusted first to Paul, entrusted to Timothy, and now entrusted to us so that we may teach others also. May we stand against these false teachers. We're supposed to turn away from them. May we give the true gospel, and that is you. You are the truth. And Father, it's not getting any better out there. It's getting worse. And we ask and pray you give us strength. You give us the power, the power that changes lives to go out before these people and to share your gospel. Father, thank you tonight for who you are and for what you've done in each and every one of our lives. And may we just continue to be thankful for that so great salvation that saved us and called us to do the work in which we've talked about tonight. May we be aware of these apostate teachers and may we be aware of what we need to do in order to, in order to uh, take this truth. May we take the truth and defend, defend it because we know we're called to do that. So I ask and pray you be with each and every one as we leave tonight. May they go from this place saying it's been good to be in the house of God tonight. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.